Burn the Box, a portal to the world of hidden truths and untapped power, a sanctuary where together we unmask the oppression hidden in the shadows far too long, unscripted, unplanned, unrehearsed. Stay tuned for powerful conversations, thought-provoking insights as we ignite the sacred rebellion of the global majority. Let's begin this incredible journey together. Welcome to Burn the Box. Your host, Dr. Sonali Deepika. Welcome. Hey. <laughs> Welcome uh, to Burn the Box. Hello, Evan. Yo. <laughs> Let me introduce you to my guest, Evan Milligan. Evan is an interstate 10 baby, born in Houston, Texas, and raised in Montgomery, Alabama. He has spent most of his life in Alabama chasing near impossible goals related to healing and Black freedom. His ancestors had been kind and patient with him, blessing him with beautiful activist parents, mentors, empowering educational experiences, and a loving family of his own including partner and two children. Evan lost his father in 2021 during the midst of an advocacy effort that ultimately led to his involvement in historic voting rights litigation that culminated last fall with the oral argument of Merrill versus Milligan at the U.S. Supreme Court. Wow. The decision for this case will impact the nature of voting rights in America and will be published by July of this year. As he and his team await the decision, Evan is deeply thankful that his soul and sanity have been nurtured by his triad and the somatic abolitionism mm. community. Oh, that is powerful. Wow. Yeah. That sanity part. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That part is huge. And you mentioned your soul and sanity have been nurtured by your triad and the somatic abolitionism community of which we are part of. It was my triad and two Black women, both from mm -hmm. North California. Mm -hmm. One is my exact age and one is like our big sister a little bit older than us when we were assigned to our different triads or some people got assigned to quads and all of that <laughs> i don't know what they did <laughs> but the fact that it's three months ago there's been so many alignments the balance of our personalities and their <laughs> life experiences and the balance of the energy they're they're real family, so that soul insanity part is yeah is critical. It's critical, it's critical. And as you share, I'm reminded of the triad that I was assigned to, and we're all spread out. I'm in Mexico. One is in California. One is in Pennsylvania. But we have now met twice in person. Mm -hmm. And 
I agree with you. They're, they're family, that the bond, the way that we show up for each other, the way that we connect and the depth of the space that we've cultivated together. It's really powerful. When you were starting, was it easy for you to open up to that? Because when you sent me the information about the podcast, yes, I was reading about your life and how yes. you, at one point you left wherever you were in London mm-hmm. or somewhere and back to <laughs> where your family's. And that seems like almost an unlearning, untethering, and you have to open up to this whole. So I imagine that would have been some type of preparation. Did you draw on that to do the work with your triad or did it just feel totally different even compared to those experiences? Well, that's a good question. Maybe I did in some ways draw on that. I was born in England. I was age seven when my whole family immigrated to the U.S. And then by the time I was connected with the triad, I'd left everything and moved to Mexico. So I've had different moves in my life. There might have been something to draw on with that. But it also felt so new, this idea of somatic abolitionism, this this course that we were, there was so yeah. much to learn there, or learning and unlearning, and also yeah. connecting in this different kind of ways. I think it took some time to yeah. feel into what we were doing. Plus, it was all emerging anyway, as we were going through it, like our cohort was up with the pioneers in it, uh, in some ways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was totally different, I think, for me. Yes. When I said that about the sanity part and the mm-hmm. thing about my dad, it was a situation where I had a lot of guilt because I chose to do a work thing at, at a critical point where I missed some doctor's rounds that morning prior to him having what ultimately the fatal heart attack. It wasn't one of those things where the guilt was warranted because that, like all of those isolated moments, you never know which one is what. But just in terms of my narrative and just my relationship with activist work throughout my life, where it just is this all-consuming thing and it's hard to find balance or a sense of boundary and all of that. So on the trauma side, once I got there that evening, he was great. That afternoon, actually, yeah. he was great. I missed the doctor's rounds. Mm-hmm. He wasn't in a place where he could explain it. But we just sat and just talked. Yeah. He's just this beautiful black man, darker skin brother from Houston, third ward, wear these big Andre 3000 rings and always had, he taught himself Later, huge library, huge African art collection. Yeah. He didn't graduate college until he was like 65. I graduated before him. He passed at 75. Self-taught. <laughs> There's a bunch of people. In, and so we were just vibing and chilling. And I had yeah. to leave because of the COVID protocol. So I came okay. back to day. And the situation had gotten worse. And so I was doing advocacy, trying to get whatever. And finally get the doctor there. Why haven't you done this, that, and the third? Then he starts coding, basically. So I'm like, at one point, I even texted my triad as this was happening. Yes. I just needed to have some kind of, not my immediate family, who would also be pulled into the the trauma wheel, but 
somebody that would be just hold the whole circle. We had already started incorporating music and bossy and um, it's our processing rock and stuff. But it just really happened organically because I didn't know yeah. one of them was a drummer. I didn't know one of them had his extensive history with art and music and all that. Mm-hmm. And it just happened. And around the time of it, it was like these tools were there and the community was there. And they called yeah. me back watching him take different experiences into a poem or a photography or into a joke or whatever in his fashion sense, which I don't have. He was cold. <laughs> and it was like recycling in the culture and into the drum. And I had gotten away from that. Yeah. Right. So the healing part, I'm still healing. Yeah. It's still a healing process. But it was like being called back into that as that is happening. And, yes. And then the aftermath of that, I don't even know what would have happened. He died in stages. So he died. He coded and lost consciousness and pulse mm-hmm. in front mm-hmm. of him. And it was mm-hmm. this big thing. I had my brother, my wife, my mom, and other people that clearly I could have, but I knew that as soon as I text them this, I'm going to have to switch out of my grieving and shock to managing their expectations and need for information. So the triad was a safe space to bring that experience. So this is all about full circle that you just be present. Was not about requesting information or extraction. Or not that it's extraction, but just yes. that you hold. So I was able yes. to bring that to them even as it was happening, which it wasn't a deep conversation, but just the fact that was a relationship and the tools were there. Now, on the heels of him, we had to disconnect him from the ventilator and all that kind of stuff ultimately. But that was like his second passing. And when my body's response to seeing my parents or elders, in these moments throughout life, there's been a lot of medical mm-hmm. stuff in our family here. It's these images that I really get out of my head sometimes. Yeah. And so what do I do with that? What the what it was for me is vibration is where is it? I try to locate it in a tone yes. or a melody or a rhythm. Yes. And that would evolve into a song. Yes. Eventually. Mm-hmm. And that brought me back to my dad. He's a poet and a photographer and a radio DJ and all these things. Wow. Even when he was like the manager of a McDonald's. So that was what he used to recycle his frustration into art or into. And it was like, it got me back into that. Yes. When I wasn't soul insanity. Yes, I can feel this almost like a parallel process. Here you are doing somatic abolitionism, you have this amazing triad, and then you have a a way of connecting to vibration, your own music, in a thing, like in a way that maybe he had his own way, but he was definitely expressing through art from his soul. I mean, it sounds like he's listening. Excuse me. I told you I'm trying to hide from my children in this. <laughs> Murphy's Law, Sonali. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and you had said in our email, like, I don't know much about astrology, but there's a lot happening in astrology too that relates to the the tech issues and things that oh, yeah. can happen right now. Yeah. So we're we're in it. <laughs> this idea of burning boxes, like what I know you're doing you have activism in your lineage and in your life and all of this, what, what feels most alive to you about 
burning boxes and maybe expanding out of places that feel confined. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Because I was thinking today, sometimes I felt guilty about having a certain amount of class privilege associated with the way that education or certain educational experience, if you go to this institution versus another one. Yes. That gives you more mobility to yes. invent titles for yourself in the context of <laughs> 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 all these things. <laughs> there are times where I'm from is still a very caste defined sort of place. It's better than when I was a kid, but even now that's thick. It's thick in our psychology, it's thick in internalized superiority, inferiority. Yeah. Sometimes what we're willing to dream about. And there's a physical piece of that, the way that here in Alabama, every year, folks that are graduating high school or of age to leave yes. are leaving in a way that our folks who are from here were moving back and that kind of thing. It's been a very flat population growth mm-hmm. over the last uh, 40 years, 50 years in, in comparison to, say, Georgia, for example, which is okay. at a pretty yes. upward thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so the idea of burning boxes, on one hand, I'm really into it because I like the idea of having total freedom and being able to pivot and create right. and at times it, it feels am I abandoning something am I abandoning my anchoring some kind of way that's played out in relationships that's played out yes. in work things played out yes. in a lot of ways yes what about for you wow I'd like to just reflect on what you shared but then I also will share because it's important I think this idea of while still staying in the same place, like where we stay, where we are, but we're burning our own boxes. Is it possible to do that and to be able to help our communities and not feel, because it it really resonated, like it landed for me, this idea of abandonment. You're mentioning a lot of people from Alabama are leaving after they get their education, wherever they're going. So they're not choosing to stay. They're choosing to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I'm sharing it as a reflection and also because it is also definitely relevant to, I'll I'll share a bit about my experience. It's Mm. like the boxes that we burn can really be in our, like related to our energy, our presence, our soul expression, like all of this kind of thing while we stay where we are and still work with community. I think it's possible to not have to leave, not have to abandon, maybe to allow an expansion that's just for us to be able to then bring that to the community. But Mm. we have done our own work to allow this expansion, just like this somatic abolitionism, this Mm. somatic process that we have in Bossy to look at for anyone who doesn't know, like to look at vibrations and not look at, but really tune into our vibrations, images, our meaning, making again the behavior, <laughs> our affect, or like our emotions, um, our sensations to really tune into all of that to allow us to imagination too. Our imagination. Absolutely. Yeah. So these are ways we've learned through our process to help us understand what we're holding in our bodies and to help us, yeah, with, especially with like imagination with vibes to be able to expand out of boxes. Mm. 
that was really coming through with what you shared. And I'll share for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I laughed a little bit because, oh, I've definitely been about moving. <laughs> I've definitely been about moving. I was in Chicago for almost 20 years. And then it was like, I went to Sri Lanka. That's my roots. My parents were born and raised there. I went there for a while. I was following my own body, my own process. I got interested basically like the body, like somatic experiences. I'm not a somatic, not to be confused with somatic experiencing. I've not done that, but it came for me in terms of sensuality, sexuality, really connecting to something I had not delved in at all in my life. Something that's been very repressed, suppressed in my body, in my family, in my culture, like all of this. And that eventually brought me to Mexico in my own way of burning boxes. I just had to leave spaces and I'm also recognizing in what you shared that maybe we can do that wherever we are and and show up differently Mm. to our communities. That's so timely. (laughs) For real. Because I think the idea, there's an ego piece too, is if it's not me, that doesn't like something, that thing of abandonment, Mm -hmm. like a selfless altruistic kind of, there's a holding of it. There's like a gripping, like I have to have something to define me. I need to be defined by who feels like they need me, which is a very Southern thing for caretaker fam, caregiver families, which is where I was raised in. We've, we've had moments of that in my adult life where I've played that role or or whatever. One of the things about Bresma When I, the first time I heard about him, I was working with a coach. And this is my first job as executive director and mm-hmm. probably woefully underqualified. Like I've done a whole lot of like activism, nonprofit work, but never in this type of thing. So there's all mm-hmm. kinds of mistakes, blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. one of the pieces of advice that I got when I started was you got to get an executive coach. <laughs> the very amazing woman that I was working with, she gave me a link to a a somatic conference that took place in January of 2021. I forget the name of that organization, but Resma was one of the keynotes. Uh And I I had heard of him prior to that from this appearance he had on NPR on being Mm -hmm. with Chris Tippett. I think that was the first time I heard of him. But in that appearance, he (laughs) stood out to me because there was like after between 2016 and 2020, it was like so many different racial justice gurus and all. It became this whole little thing. And so I was suspicious when I would see somebody that, that, that when it felt like it was coming from DEI. And when he started talking about his grandma and how she would fart and stuff like that, like we had to ride from Montgomery, Alabama to Houston and then go from, then I was with my mother-in-law going from Houston to El Paso. So that was like 17 hours in the car back to back or 15, whatever. So I wasn't really in the mood for a lot of like deep talk or whatever. And when he said that, he was talking about his work with folks in the military and his grandma. And it was just so real. I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is Mm -hmm. not just jargon and the, the order of the day. This is a person. But he said this thing about how his grandma, uh, how her hands would have all of these calluses and stuff on it. 
And it took me back to my big mama growing up. My mom's, so when we moved from Houston to Alabama, mm-hmm. when I was about five, mm-hmm. we had been coming, but we permanently moved mm-hmm. because as an only child, her mom was only child, all of the elders were getting sicker, mm-hmm. strokes, Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. dialysis, all that kind of stuff. Wow. And she was the one that was of the generation of nieces and cousins or whatever, and definitely her mom's only child and her grandparents' only granddaughter. So she took the weight on to be that that lifeline, that baby boomer lifeline Mm -hmm. for all the folks that had been born 1900s through the late 1920s. And it was extremely beautiful and extremely traumatic for Mm -hmm. her, but amazing. But I remember Big Mama would sit, and she's my uh, maternal grandmother's mom, and she would just sit and rock, especially as she got older with Alzheimer's and her memory would fade a little bit about where she was, what was going on. She would just rock. She would just say, geez, and say that over and sometimes cry sometimes. And there were scars on her face from just things growing up in the South and you can't get the medical attention that you normally would have gotten because you're Black. So it was like yeah. preventable stuff will have permanent scars. A lot of people like that. And and it just, when I was reading that description, it like gave me something to do with all of these images mm-hmm. and the feelings associated with them that mm-hmm. nothing else that I had encountered even really spoke about. Mm-hmm. Unless it's a Tony Morrison novel. Because she, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. So what you said about the, the thing of holding on, there's there's a a balance that I don't really have. Mm-hmm. Example that I was given was you go, I'm old enough to make my own examples, but you get what I'm saying. The thing yeah. that is the holding that person that has those scars, like you don't leave. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't even go too far outside the box. You, mm-hmm. you burn the box and the box is what they know. Now they don't have a point of reference for you. That feels a lot like one of the paradoxes of being artistic or being doing any type of revolutionary change or any type of healing work in a place that's built on the foundation of like plantation economy where like bodies are owned and coerced. And that's what we work with. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. There were a couple of things that came to me as you were sharing One is, how do we stay? Is it possible? It comes back to what you had shared earlier about this abandonment idea. If I can't really burning a box would be leaving and that abandonment. And and then you brought in as a caregiver, being there as a caregiver and a box being familiar to the caregiver. So you're like in that box to to be of service to this elder. I, I just really appreciate what you share because it brings up so much nuance around the idea of a burning box because that sounds so, well, it is so permanent to burn a whole box. But it again brings me back to things that we can do so that we don't feel too confined in the box while also having access to the box so that we could be there for an elder, for example, or for a group of people even who are in it still. What does that look like of us doing our own work to expand, to have more expressions? Because all of this for me is, it brings up ideas of not wanting to feel stifled, confined, 
oppressed, like that yeah. kind of expansion. Yeah. But what you're sharing is so real about what does that look like? What does that look That's like? That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I told you we're working on this festival. Yeah. We don't even have to talk about it for real because this is better. I'm bringing it up for the purpose of saying that yeah. it's a festival. We'll have different hip hop artists, punk artists and stuff like that. Just by virtue of timing, the era, I was born in 81, but mm -hmm. I came of age in the 90s mm -hmm. in Montgomery. And I came of age around a particular group of people mm -hmm. who ended up playing instrumental roles in what became our hip hop culture here. Yeah. And so people in my age group that grew up in other parts of the state, they have similar stories who had similar interests or whatever. When I follow up with some of these guys now, they're wise beyond their years. And they've been through a lot. And there's a thing of noticing how much they've lost in attempting mm -hmm. to buck against the caste system here when there were no resources. There's just a look behind their eyes mm -hmm. that is more than just incarceration or like the entertainment industry or whatever. There's this. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to describe it, but these are people that at a point we weren't born into the same conditions, all of us, mm -hmm. but just as far as being the same age in the same small town, I don't know. I feel really like it was something you just said is getting away from me, but there's like a connection there of wanting mm -hmm. to create a space just to hold all of these black men mm -hmm. and black women too. I think there are spaces for black women now that are not spaces that I, I can find them and say, hey, you should talk to this person. But for the black men in the, that, that fall into this, that have that look, I guess where I was coming from is maybe burning boxes is not really a, an abandonment thing if within the place we are, there are people that we can't reach mm -hmm. within the box. And even in order to get to them in the context where we are, mm -hmm. we have to discard some things and to mm -hmm. simplify, get more focus, mm -hmm. make honorific sacrifices and things mm -hmm. to trim the bushes and to trim the hedge mm -hmm. to create that space. Yeah, yeah that, that was speaking to me in the moment. Yeah, as you were sharing, it really sounds like this group of artists, musicians that you're mentioning, they were burning boxes. It wasn't easy. It didn't sound like, and it maybe they faced a lot of challenges in doing that because it's like there's a whole system. I mean, we know there's a whole system there that they were trying yeah. to expand yeah. out of. And that's not often received. I mean, it might right. be from right. some people who appreciate the music, but from a whole lot of other people, that's not going to be uh, received well. So there's that aspect as you were sharing. And also, as you said, like they stayed with their communities but they were like trying to, I'm using my words now, but expand. It sounds like they were trying to like, hey, let's, this doesn't have to be like this. Let's do this mm -hmm. differently. Let's not be in such oppression, right? In this time. It also, as you were speaking, and this is what had come up earlier for me also, it really sounds as someone just witnessing your bio meeting you that your father did that in his own way too with his music, yeah. with his expression, his artistic expression, while he was in a place 
And he didn't leave the place. He was there. He was working, caring for a family, all of this. But it sounds to me that he had a way of, he was burning boxes himself or expanding out of boxes or expressing something. Because art is like, like the industry up until very recently, it was so much of choose me kind of thing. Like I'm on the auction block trying to be chose. I'm going to do juggling the bed. But I maybe I'm the best juggler in the world, but you just didn't see me. So it was like, it was the alchemy of timing mm-hmm. plus talent plus willingness to go you know, to constant performance. Mm-hmm. Even if there's not actual equitable business financing, it's just mm-hmm. the, the amount of FaceTime I need. I'll take the bad deal. I need to FaceTime. There was that kind of, it's a lot of that, like you waiting for the portal to open. Is it my mm-hmm. turn? My, and he had tried that. And what was interesting about him as a black man in the 80s, in the 90s, yeah. he came of age. See, Houston is a cold place. I hope you get to talk to some people that's from down there, both Asian body, black body, anybody is from Houston. Okay. Somebody's a culture down there because it's different and it's not a place that's, I don't know why. It's got mm-hmm. the largest landmass or the third largest landmass. It's got the most diverse population in the country. Mm-hmm. It's all of these little anecdotes, accolades. Mm-hmm. But the art scene there and the culture scene, it's just not the one that people think of when they think of mm-hmm. whatever in the United States, mm-hmm. which I think has worked to its advantage because you have all these working artists there who still are somewhat conversant with the community if they're mm-hmm. the one that you need to be. Yeah. And then you have all the other cultures around, just different styles of music from the Gulf and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, mm-hmm. in the 70s, and after the leaders were getting assassinated and they were starting Pan-Africanist movements and the Black Arts movement and all that, mm-hmm. throughout the South, just like in Harlem and Chicago and L.A., there were like Black theaters. Mm-hmm. And my dad got really involved with helping to co-found this group called the Sedan Art Southwest, I believe. It was a, a playwright named Thomas Malanson who ended up publishing things that were performed in other parts of the country and the world. And a couple of other people came out of their collective. But the entry way wasn't formal education. It was like they were doing community things and they were getting response from like mm-hmm. children, elders, people, their peers. That's what put them on. It was almost like today. Like if you have a phone and a, and a wheel, you can put yourself yeah. on. They were doing that back then and they were just getting love. He did that with DJ and he did that as a photographer. So his whole was based on people knew he could do shit. It wasn't based on what was on the resume necessarily. Now all that shifted in the eighties. And so that's around the time when we moved to Alabama. So for him to come here, it was a very intense decision, not only because my older brother, but we're also half brothers. So he was still in Houston. And it was just a major thing for him to leave and, and come here and be with my yeah. mom with doing the character. And people didn't know him here. So there was no black man, no college degree, didn't have the connections. There was no way to find the stairway into the portal. Mm-hmm. You just had to do stuff and just hope you would get the portal. And I don't know, I see a lot of that in the guys here. I see a lot of that in people around this country, honestly. It's, mm-hmm. it's like people say, I just want to goddamn get on. Can you put me on? Like this. <laughs> a break. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I just need a break. Like, <laughs> yeah. why are you? 
And it's, that does a lot to a person. Maybe it's more than life when you see it so many times with just one defined group of people. Yes. It starts to feel like it might be a little bit more to it than just life. Yeah. It gives me a lot to think about and that idea of just wanting a break, like just wanting a, a chance. And from where I sit, just been so much luck. Like when that comes, yeah. how that comes, if that comes. I'm curious. We have talked a lot about burning boxes, but somatic abolitionism. What is really lighting you up with, with the things that you're doing in your life? This event that's coming up. Mm. When I'm in the, the seat of needing to do fundraising, and a lot of that is like portal praying, praying for the portal, like both yes. P R A and then mm-hmm. P R E. Cause I'm like <laughs> yeah. carnivorously doing this with the funny, like <laughs> coming up with my whole Alabama poverty. I love it. The praying and the praying. Yes. The praying and the praying for the portal. For real. It starts feeling like it's violent mm. to the like everybody just baked into that whole thing. And what we've been doing for this festival, like we got this case. I'm a plaintiff along with six other, five or six other plaintiffs on the case. It's just that I'm the name plaintiff. So there's things that we have to do to help people become informed about what's going on with the Voting Rights Act, how that impacts other aspects of society, democracy, freedom. And that conversation doesn't have to involve the body or somatic abolitionism. Right. But again, roll of the dice. Yeah. You and I know what we've been doing for the last two years. (laughs) Or three years almost. <laughs> and I just happen to be the one that's the name plaintiff. So I'm going to bring it in. Because yeah. everything I just said about what happened with my dad and all this other stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, we bring it. We just come on. So now with anybody, really, the artist, the billionaire, the person on the street, what I'm trying to reduce the message to is first and foremost, we all pray for us. Will you say an intentional word for us? Will you, if you're a drummer, will you drum for us? If you, if it's Jesus or Risha, if you don't believe one of them, but you got somebody on earth that you look to for whatever, if you could just offer a word to the young people that's like Justin Jones and, and, and Matia Powell in, in Tennessee and Tamika Atkins in Georgia, and it's so many people that folks don't even know their names, Karuna, Trav. Like, there's so many people. I, I could just keep saying names. They don't even, they never been on anything, just like the rappers, right? But they out here, and if you could just hum for us, just rock with us. Because we're entering into a period of time where there will be conflict and there will be family in one direction or another because of different mm-hmm. allegiances and there will be volatile like how the climate is the mm-hmm. earth climate and the political climate and just to ask somebody these days to even take the time to just send you an honest and true word not like you my fan or but just a true word that's what I'm trying to start now in addition to the creative recycling and creating mm-hmm. music and blending that with our content, our policy mm-hmm. and stuff. The somatic abolition yeah. has helped me just dig back into yes. that part. 
of, of where our humanity yes. connects. And it's really interesting to do that in the Bible Belt like this, because so many of the people that feel like they're super religious, they are very genuine people and they're, they're very mm-hmm. spiritual people. Mm-hmm. There's a whole like economy and industry of church here that mm-hmm. might look different than an ashram somewhere mm-hmm. or the other faith traditions. They just don't have that right. corporate infrastructure that United States does that controls all these people's thoughts, but to just even go to them and say, look, I'm sorry, big bro. I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I'm sorry, sir. We not going to line up on everything. I'm going to be on the opposite side of the the piggy lot for you on something. But this right here, you might say no, but but can you just offer that? Pray for our safety, our kids, our our humility, our ability to serve. Yeah, it's not like that's where it's at right now for me. And then we can get to the money. We can get to to the resources. If, if yes. you do that. Yes. You know, that's deeper than money. Wow. Thank you. It feels asking for some expression that is grounded in this Rinbasi that we've been talking about. That's something that feels true. Something that's true, authentic. Your word. <laughs> A word. <laughs> like you said. Yes, that's valuable. I was looking at what you had shared with me before and about what's lighting you up. And I want to say living as a whole healed Black man in the earth. That's cold. <laughs> it is, though, because I'm not saying in a certain type of house, in a certain type of material condition. Mm-hmm. Like just in the earth. Yeah. That's the vision. And hope hopefully others as well. That's the mega vision is others having that. When you went to Sri Lanka. Yeah. Tell me about what you found. You say you made some kind of discovery about the bodies of South Asian people. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Because I have some real close friends and people that have impacted me over time that's from different parts of South Asia. Not Yeah. I want to hear more about if you don't mind sharing like yeah. for you. What I found was with this work with somatic abolitionism, we are delving into what we're holding in, in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And especially how that relates to oppression. This is how I see it anyway. And being there in Sri Lanka, in the kind of homeland or motherland for me, because I hadn't, I visited, but I'd never lived there until just five years ago, whenever, when I went. It was a chance to experience a bit more what that country had been through in terms of colonization Mm. and to understand what that does to a people. Colonization is just everywhere, right? But in that country, it's really close in terms of generationally. It's like Sri Lanka became independent from Great Britain around the time my mother was born. So I'm just the next generation of that. So it's pretty close. What am I trying to say? It's not like it's been generations and generations of this independence. It was just like one, really, because my mother's still alive. And there 
It's just pretty much just happened, right? It's like there was an awareness I had living there that helped me to understand my own lived experience. Because I wasn't born there. I was born in England. And then I was, I'm an immigrant. We moved right to the U.S. But to understand what happens when a group of people when the culture is basically wiped out, when everything Mm -hmm. that the religion, the traditions, the language is still there, fortunately. um, But when there, when this other group comes in and says, this is the way you do things. And this is how we're going to be doing it. And it it impacted me a lot um, in terms of healing I was in Chicago for many years. I did medical school there. I became a psychiatrist or I became a child psychiatrist. You're a whole doctor. You, you are, I am. You're a whole weapon doctor. I am. In the deep. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I am. <laughs> and this is part of me burning boxes. I'm no more. I'm just oh, like, I see what you're I'm doing. not working in that anymore. But yeah, I'm trained at practice like, for years. University of Chicago. You talk about burning some expenses. You not talking about well, I'm I'm sitting here talking about black men on the <laughs> You being hella polite. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh what? No, it's but it is related though. It is related. It is related. I feel like it's all related <laughs> from my perspective. But yeah, it was like, there's a lot of boxes being burned. But when I was there, I was drawn there because of this indigenous healing that I had learned about through a white bodied person in Chicago mm. of Ayurveda. That is like 5,000 years old that has roots in Sri Lanka and India. And I got interested because it was a whole different way of healing and it was a whole different way of looking at health and it was all these things. So that is really what drew me to move there and to leave everything. But then when I got there, I find out in terms of what I learned, it was learning that everything was so colonized. It was not surprising. It's just more actually getting to see it, like even to learn this more indigenous form of healing, it was all, my experience was it was all westernized because it had when the British had come and the British mm. kind of said, this is what healing is. It's, mm. it's Western medicine. And so that took over and anything else got really, they tried to wipe it out, but it didn't. It was still there. And I was trying to mm. learn from that. So without going down too much of a rabbit hole, it was really eye-opening because, okay, now I'm trying to learn something. I'm like, wow, it's not even a really available in the way I want to learn. And part of that is that I'm not fluent in the language that maybe I could have learned from some elders who were doing that kind of work. I was limited because I know some, but I couldn't learn that way. But it also, in the end, ended up leading me down a whole different path that was about connecting to, in broad strokes, like connecting to the body and Mm. connecting to our power and connecting to like a sense of liberation. And that was with sensuality, with sexuality, with the whole that brought me to Mexico and doing sensuality coaching. And through that is where I met someone 
and Mika Carly, a friend and kind of a peer mentor of mine, full was familiar with resonance work. And that's how that happened. Yeah. So that came in and it was like, what? What's this? Oh, my grandmother stands. And I was right. like, it's a- <laughs> wow. When you lived in Sri Lanka. Yeah. Did you find that the industry around the, the traditional healing practice that you wanted to learn more about, you're saying that that too had been westernized, like the way Westerners go to, to India for the industry of yogi or people go to India and Nepal for the industry of dealing with the Himalayan mountains. Yeah. Like there's a whole industry and they give portals to people to, if you're a Sherpa, if you're a Sherpa, you can come up. Was it like that? That's what you found a little bit? My experience, I was invited through friends of my mother and that family owned this chain. Now they have, I think maybe four they're beautiful. They're these Ayurvedic resorts, they're hotels. And so then people come and they get the food and they get the the actual like services, like the the spa treatments, that kind of thing are amazing. They did really preserve that and these medicinal oils. And there's a lot, people leave feeling a lot better because it, it is thousands of years old of medicine. And when I went, I have my own lens and I've already gone through medical school. I've done all of that and I go and I realize this feels to me very westernized, like how it was being done. Like there's and there was like, limits in in culture and language too. Yeah. What were you gonna say? I would say you was your your body language was saying this feel like some bullshit. Like, um. <laughs> so, <laughs> definitely like I knew and I kept trying because I had by that time I didn't just leave my life in Chicago the condo somewhere and there got sold like I didn't leave with easy way to return is what I'm saying I really just left I burned a box I burned a box yeah. and I went yeah. and then I'm like oh this isn't exactly what I wanted yeah. to learn I really was into this holistic, like spiritual, energetic, emotional, like physical, like everything. Like I wanted to get the whole thing. And I felt like it was just a part of it that was being offered. And it was okay for the people that came, but it wasn't what I was there to experience. So it all took, there were just detours. Like I was sharing. So it all came like in a different way. What I was looking for or what I wanted Mm. to to understand and experience and be able to hold space for others. It's, it's, I know we almost at the time, but it reminds me of, it feels similar to the sort of range of expectations that black Americans have with relationship with regards to going to the continent. But I'm sure even more of that because your mom, like that's your mom. Like you remember mm-hmm. her smell, her food, mm-hmm. her clothes, and uh, anybody else from uh, your parents' family. Mm-hmm. Was your dad from Sri Lanka too? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So both sides in that case. Yes. But these having these not having a sense of context or the story or where we fit into this whole landmass and all of these mm-hmm. like all of these yeah. types. Thank oh, you for creating this space. Thank you for your work. Thank you for the conversation. I th- we could have talked another five hours and we'll talk again. <laughs> I, I, yes, I have a please. Good report. Take back to my triad. 
Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate everything you shared. I appreciate your trust. I would love for you to share where people can find your work. Okay. The organization that I work with is called Shake. Yes. Oh, well, it's Alabama Forward. So the, the website is mm-hmm. alforward.org. Y'all, please nice. forward that organization. Check it out. We also have yes. a prong of our work that focuses on slightly younger Alabamians, either in the state or in the Alabama yeah. diaspora, wherever in the world. And that's called Shake the Field. That's both a program or collection of programs. That's a music collective that makes original art and music. It's a lot of shakel.org. And then Mm -hmm. I'm on Instagram at at Black Belt Breeze. B-L-A-C-K-B-E-L-T-B-R-E-Z. Yes, I found you there. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening and being a part of the Burn the Box movement.